0: DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents the letters of Saint Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual direction according to the spiritual exercises of Saint Ignatius of Loyola. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word Television Network. He is also author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life. The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor.
1: What I'd like to do now is to look at a number of anecdotes in Therese from these various primary sources we've been citing. What that will do is to put anecdotal flesh on the the themes that we've seen in the letters, like the little way or casting flowers, the various things that we've seen. And the moments that I'd like to quote now all have to do with the very ordinary quality of Therese's holiness, and therefore, She is completely able to be imitated by us because her circumstances are so ordinary as our ours. And the first of these that I'll quote is from a letter written by her cousin, Marie Guérin, who was also eventually in the Carmel with her as Sister Marie of the Eucharist. This is written about two months before Therese's death, and it's written to the Celine that we quoted earlier. We saw Therese write a letter to this childhood playmate who is married now. Marie writes the following to Celine, her first cousin. I thank God for permitting me to know this little saint, obviously writing about Therese here, for here in the community she is loved and appreciated as such. As we'll see, um, not by all, not everyone recognized, many did not recognize during her lifetime who she was. Hers is not an extraordinary sanctity. There is no love of extraordinary penances. No, only love for God. There really is very little in Therese that we cannot imitate. She's not a missionary going off to Africa. She doesn't do uh, heroic penances like some of the saints that we've seen. far as we know, during her lifetime, no miracles or extraordinary phenomena. A few very profound experiences of prayer, but very often aridity, sleepiness, and so on in her prayer. People in the world can imitate her sanctity, for she has tried only to do everything through love and to accept all little contradictions, all little sacrifices that come at each moment as coming from God's hands, which is another very lovely summary of Therese, and utterly possible to imitate. People in the world can imitate her sanctity, so she is not simply for nuns in a cloistered convent, she's for everyone. For she has tried only, all right, what's the only thing she tried to do in her life? She has tried only to do everything through love, and to accept all little contradictions, all little sacrifices, the things that don't go as we want, that are a little difficult, all little sacrifices that come at each moment as coming from God's hands. Who of us cannot try to do that? She saw God in everything, and she carried out all her actions as perfectly as possible. We can try to do that. Daily duty came before everything else, as it can for us. As for pleasure, she knew how to sanctify it, even while enjoying it, offering it up to God. I asked her the other day, did you sometimes refuse God anything? She said, no, I don't remember refusing him anything. Even when I was very little, at the age of three, I began to refuse God nothing he was asking of me. This is saying everything, isn't it? to be able to make such an answer, and it's rare to hear it even in our Carmels, never to have refused God anything with an exclamation point. And then Marie continues in her letter. And if you could only see her joy at the thought of death, so as I say, Therese is about two months away, and she knows that she doesn't have much longer to live. To go and live God's life, to die and go to heaven, that's her only wish. We've seen this many times, how Therese lives in the constant light of the next life. It's such a blessed thing for us if we do that. Everything takes on its proper contours and its real meaning in that perspective when we see things in the light of eternity. We don't do that enough. It's something that we really can learn from Therese. Things get easier that way. Things have their true meaning. And her face lights up when we tell her that her desire is going to be realized. It's very beautiful to view death in this way, and it's a consolation for those left behind to see her so joyful. Eases this for those who love her. This prevents you from fearing it, and you view it yourself with more joy. I thought, little Selene, that in giving you our little patient as an example, I couldn't give you better counsel. Oh, if she were in your place, if she had, like you, a little family trial. So, in a way that's not specified in the letter, Selene has let Marie know of some Trial in her family life, how she would be able to profit from it, she'd see God in all the circumstances, and she'd offer to him each little thorn wounding her heart as an act of perfect love, so that's casting flowers. that's uh the little way to take these daily things with all our weakness, bring them to Jesus, and with His help to love him in them. This is what she would do, and she would experience a great peace, but she often said to me. This doesn't mean that we must not feel the pain, the suffering. Where would the merit be if one didn't feel it? One can feel suffering very intensely even, but can offer it to God and find in this offering, in the midst of the greatest sufferings, a great peace. That's almost a definition of, I'd say, the entirety of Therese's life. The peace, the smile that were so typical of her were born of this, of this choice in the face of the thorns, to use one of her metaphors, uh, that were so, so real in her life. I read your little letter to her, and she told me to give you this answer. Tell Celine that I shall never forget my little childhood friend, and when I am in heaven, I shall watch over her in a very special way. Tell her that God is calling her to be a saint in the world, this married woman and mother. Tell her that God is calling her to be a saint in the world, and that he has special plans for her and a special love. I transmit her words just as she has spoken them. Now, to put a perspective on what we've just seen uh, Therese's cousin Marie say about everyone regarding Therese as a saint, and this is from the uh, depositions of the witnesses for the cause of beatification, and this is Therese's sister, Pauline. Uh, Sister Agnes of Jesus, Mother Agnes of Jesus, as she was in the Carmel. So, uh, uh, her sister Pauline indicates the spiritual richness of Therese, and then says this, Some nuns, however, saw her differently. One said it was not very difficult to be a saint when you had everything you wanted, like she had. She was with her family, so she had entered Carmel, but she had three of her sisters and a cousin with her, and held in high esteem. I feel, her sister says, obliged to point out that this nun, though a long time professed, was not possessed of very sound judgment. So, uh, what Pauline is obviously saying is that, in fact, was not the case. And, of course, we've seen that abundantly. During the servant of God's, so that's Therese, illness, another said, I wonder what Mother Prioress will find to say about Sister Therese of the child Jesus. Now, what she's referring to, this is that often quoted, Comment that when they would put together the obituary, on the occasion of the death of a sister, and send this as a circular letter to the other Carmels, uh, this sister saying, "Well, what can they possibly write about Therese?" You know,
0: wouldn't you hate to be that nun, who, knowing she's the one that said that, and how the world looks now on maybe the blindness of that statement.
1: Well, I I smile a bit as you say that because, yeah, obviously. But there's actually a very profound point touched right there because it was not only this sister, but um, most of the sisters in the Carmel, so the 25, 26 of them, uh, with the exception of three or four of those who were closest to her, most of them saw nothing extraordinary about her. And I say this is a, a, a telling point because... How much do we know about the people with whom we live, our family members? How much are we seeing, to use a poor uh, metaphor, in the pie chart of the totality of this person? How much do we see? We think we see 100%. These sisters thought they saw 100%. They were probably seeing 10%, you know, if that. And that's why most of the sisters were just utterly amazed when after her life she became this worldwide figure universally loved. They couldn't get over it. Uh, she was so ordinary, they, 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 they would say. What about the people with whom we live? And what if we had eyes to see at least a little bit more what's really there? Yeah, it's a profound thing.
0: Or even the person that you are sitting next to in a cubicle at work, or the one who is ringing your groceries up for you, or cutting your grass, or whatever that might be. You just never know. Even the person that may pass you on the freeway and frustrates you. We just never know the story. And so it's, uh, that's something for us to reflect on, I think. And, and like, as you said earlier, even the daily examine can help us go back and reflect on the people that we encountered.
1: I think that's a great point, Chris. It would be worthwhile even stopping Uh, are listening at this point, and just let the Lord shed light on the people with whom we live. So uh, Pauline goes on about this uh, sister who made that remark. So the sister says, I wonder what Mother Prioress will find to say about Sister Therese of the child Jesus. What can one say about a person who has always been pampered? Well, we've seen enough to know where that lies and who has not had to acquire virtue at the cost of struggles and suffering like the rest of us. So she just really misses everything here. She is gentle and kind, of course, but she's that way by nature. Hmm. I learned these words from Sister Therese herself. She overheard them. On the other hand, it must be noted that the lay sister who said that also said that Sister Therese was a saint. But that's how she was seen. She was seen as just completely ordinary. Uh, it it's an ordinary holiness that is within the grasp of all of us.
0: You know, an, another telling moment in that letter at the very end is you said the person saying that, the sister saying that, would say, but yet she's a saint. But in a way she's saying, but she's had it easy. And so her road to holiness, her road to sainthood has been an easy one. And that I think is a, a big misnomer, is that somehow that those who are saints, everything's lined up for them so that they can enter into that road. They may, We may see people that appear to us to be very holy, and that that's not something that we can attain to. Because look at them, they had holy parents, and they had holy upbringing and everything on the surface. I didn't have that. But as you've broken open over the over the course of the conversations that we've had, there were so many struggles and so many challenges. That would be a misnomer to, to somehow say that we can't do it because our lives are much more messy than what they had to experience.
1: We can go back over her life, you know, the deaths in the family, all the tragedies, the mental illness of her father, her own physical struggles throughout all of her life the profound emotional struggles from the separation anxiety as she lost one mother after another. If you look at her vocabulary, she uses militant terms, you know, sees herself as a warrior, speaks about the battle and and the struggle and victory and and other letters that we didn't get through. You'll see her, her refer to this frequently. None of this was easy for her. Now, gradually, as the years went by, some of the struggles did become easier, but it was only because she went through very difficult battles many times in her spiritual life. So, she's our sister in this. This is ordinary holiness. It's something that all of us can aspire to. This is from her novice mistress, Sister Marie of the Angels, also in the cause for canonization. The servant of God was like a hidden violet in this respect. She was so simple and self-effacing that though one noticed something heavenly about her, she was taken for a child. This not really seen as anything extraordinary. She always put herself last and tried to pass unnoticed by never voicing her opinion unless asked for it. And this is one of these astounding paradoxes in Therese, so hidden in her life and so utterly known to the entire world uh, after her death. This humility left her in the shade, so that today one continually hears nuns exclaim exclaim in astonishment at the wonders she has wrought since her death. That little sister Therese was so ordinary and hidden during her lifetime. How is it that she is making so much noise now? Who would ever have believed that she could be so active all over the world? And I'll add one little thing more because uh, I like it. It's a little off topic here, but it's uh, a jewel. So uh, her novice mistress continues, When I reflect on the servant of God's virtues, I compare her to the sky. The more you look at it, the more stars you see there. If we've ever looked at the night sky like that, when we are able to see the stars, uh, you do have that experience. At first you see the more bright stars, but as you continue to look, you begin to realize there are more and more and more of them. And that's our experience with Therese. Uh, when you first have just a very superficial knowledge of her, it may seem that it's all very simple. But the more you look at Therese, the richer and richer and broader and broader the spectrum of her sanctity and virtue grows. And one more witness uh, about the ordinary sanctity of Therese. This is her former novice, a sister Marie of the Trinity, and this is written 13 years after Therese's death. I really think this is the first time since the creation of the world that someone is being canonized a saint who has done nothing extraordinary. No ecstasies, no revelations, no mortifications which easily frighten little souls like ours. Her whole life can be summed up in one word. Another uh, really um, appropriate summary of Therese. Her whole life can be summed up in one word. She loved God in all the ordinary actions of the common life performing them with great faithfulness. So that's our call, and it's available to every one of us, to love God in all the ordinary actions of our common daily activity lives, performing them with great faithfulness. She always had a great serenity of soul, whether in her suffering or in her joyfulness, because she took everything as coming from God.
0: We'll return to the Letters of St. Teresa Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages A prayer for the intercession of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. O Father, fountain of all life and holiness, you gave Father Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ your Son, a lively hope and an act of love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary And by his very life, he taught fidelity to the church. Father, hear the prayer of your family. And through the intercession of Father Lantieri, grant us the grace for which we now ask. May he be glorified on earth that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We now return to the letters of Saint. Therese of the Sioux with father, Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher, as you explained from this observations of her former novice master, that she didn't appear to have anything extraordinary in the, in the realm of phenomenon. but it was her living out that selfless love that loving, giving, and not expecting anything in return. And yet we've heard Therese referred by the church in some documents and some of the audiences from Pope Benedict that she was a mystic. And is it possible that we, sometimes, some of us, might have this vision of a mystic as someone who does have extraordinary phenomenon that bears witness to an extraordinary grace. It may not be that everybody has the same experience, but have that mystery, the mystery of Christ as St. Paul speaks about, that entering into that, it, it looks different for everybody, but it's that movement from a selfish love into the selfless love is exemplified by Christ. So we could look at her as a mystic in that, with that type of vision.
1: Well, I think the the answer to that lies in how we understand the word mystic, which is used in a variety of senses today. In its strict, proper sense, the word mystic refers to one to whom, one whom God has called to mystical prayer in the strict sense of the word, the kind of things that John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila speak about, so that prayer becomes less active, more passive, and receptive in the higher states of properly mystical prayer. Was Teresa mystic in that sense? As I mentioned earlier, she had just a very few experiences of that kind, and they were not long-lasting, but she did have a few of those. However, we can use the word mystic in a broader sense, and that's the sense in which you're using it. A person who finds God in daily living is united to God in daily living, who lives in that communion with the Lord. Uh, there'll be a rich life of prayer without necessarily being mystical in the strict sense of the word, a kind of everyday mysticism. And in that sense, absolutely, Therese is uh, a mystic throughout all of her adult life, I would say, you know, and very early on.
0: Just recalling that the word mystic or the mystery, the Greek mysterion in Latin the sacrament, and that those early Christians were initiated into that mystery, and her great love for the sacraments, especially the Eucharist, it just seems as though that, it, that initiation, that, that immersion into the heart of all that, that maybe in a very real way shows us that we too are, are drawn, that we are, as you term the everyday mystic. But there's nothing everyday about it, is there?
1: Uh, everyday in the sense that it's a way of life but not every day in the sense of being superficial or of slight importance. You know, it's, it's very profound. I would say then that the sense in which we speak of Therese as a mystic th- throughout the years of her life is accessible to all of us. Just to live in that constant awareness of God, finding God in all things, responding to the Lord's love, a faithful life of prayer, a giving of oneself, all of that is something we can all live. Now. What I'd like to turn to is something that's related to what we've just seen, but it's a quality that I've long appreciated in Therese. Her capacity for finding enormous spiritual meaning in very, I guess, things that we would call just very slight, ordinary occurrences. Ignatius' phrase of finding God in all things is richly, richly lived uh, in Therese. So let's just look at a few of these. Because the reason I do this is because the meaning is there. God's grace is there in these daily things. And Therese can, can point the way to us to live with a kind of spiritual awareness that does enable us to find God in all and small things, with the consequences that we'll see as we look at these. This is in her last conversations, so we are uh, about two and a half months away from her death at this point. She is still able to, with the help of her sister, to go out into the garden in the Carmel. And on this particular day, her sister Pauline accompanies Therese out into the interior courtyard. And they're sitting on a bench. And um, Pauline tells us that after a while, Therese just lays her head tenderly. I'll just read it. After a while, she placed her head tenderly on my heart, singing softly, I forget you, dear mother. No, no, never. And then the following happens. Descending the steps leading into the garden, she saw a little white hen under a tree, protecting her little chicks under her wings. Some were peeping out from under. So the monastery has a little bit of poultry, and one of these hens is there under a tree. Wings outstretched, mother hen, and the chicks peeping out from uh, under the safety of their mother's wings. So that's the whole event. Therese stopped, looking at them thoughtfully, which probably any of us would do if we saw that scene in nature or on a farm somewhere. That's a charming scene. You stop and you look at it. After a while, I made a sign that we should go inside. I noticed her eyes were filled with tears, so something has happened as she's looking at this scene. And I said, you're crying. She put her hand over her eyes and cried even more. I can't explain it just now. I'm too deeply touched. That evening, in her cell, She told me the following, and there was a heavenly expression on her face. I cried when I thought how God used this image in order to teach us his tenderness toward us. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, or so often in the Psalms, you know, hide me in the shelter of your wings. All through my life, this is what he has done for me. He has hidden me totally under his wings. So, as she gazes at this charming scene from nature, finding God everywhere, very readily her heart opens to the word of God, to the scriptures, and she sees there visually before her eyes the truth that the scripture is portraying when that image is used to speak of God's tender, faithful, protecting love for his people, and a warm sense of gratitude to God wells up in her heart, but it doesn't stop there then it becomes personal. All through my life, this is what he has done for me. He has hidden me totally under his wings, so that what she's seeing in this scene from nature now is the image of her own life. And, of course, we've seen the painful vicissitudes of her life, and she can see that, just like the mother hen protecting her chicks, this is what you, Lord, have done for me throughout all the twists and turns of my life. Earlier in the day when I was leaving you, I was crying when going upstairs. I was unable to control myself any longer, and I hastened to our cell. My heart was overflowing with love and gratitude. So as she sees this, gratitude surges so strongly in her heart, and her tears fall so abundantly that she can't even speak about it, and hours later is still deeply moved. Now, approach that with reverence, because we're on holy ground here. What if we had just a little bit of that kind of spiritual vision? Ignatius' words about finding God in all things, I'll amplify it a little bit, finding God in small things would become real. We would never be alone. Let's look at another example of this. All right, this is again her sister Pauline. It's about five weeks after the the experience that we just shared. Pauline writes, She told me about the following incident, the memory of which was the source of a great grace for her. Now you can already foresee what's going to happen. It's going to be a very small thing, but she will find an occasion for a very rich, profound grace in it. Sister Marie of the Eucharist. So this is her cousin Marie. Marie wanted to light the candles for a procession. So the sisters have lined up. She doesn't specify which procession it would be with the Eucharist or for Mary, whatever the occasion was. Sister Marie of the Eucharist has the responsibility of getting the candles which all the sisters are holding. So we can imagine these 20, 25 sisters lined up in their habits ready for the procession. She had no matches. However, seeing the little lamp which was burning in front of the relic, so they have a little candle in front of, whatever relics these were, she approached it. Alas, it was half out. There remained only a feeble glimmer on its blackened wick. She succeeded in lighting her candle from it, and with this candle she lighted those of the whole community. All right, that's the incident. Utterly ordinary. Small. Daily. And now the grace. It was, therefore, the half-extinguished little lamp which had produced all these beautiful flames, which in their turn could produce an infinity of others and even light the whole universe. Nevertheless, it would always be the little lamp which would be the first cause of all this light. How could the beautiful flames boast of having produced this fire when they themselves were lighted with such a small spark? And now the application. It is the same with the communion of saints. We don't think enough about the communion of saints. It's very real uh, for Therese. The bond that links us with all of us who share life in Christ in this world and in the world to come. It is the same with the communion of saints. Very often, without our knowing it, the graces and lights that we receive are due to a hidden soul. Somewhere someone is praying, offering sacrifices. No one sees it, no one knows it, we don't even know about it. It may be elsewhere in the world, it may be family members praying for us, friends. And very often, without our knowing it, the graces and lights that we receive are due to a hidden soul, for God wills that the saints communicate grace to each other through prayer with great love, with a love much greater than that of a family, and even the most perfect family on earth. And this is another lovely thing. As Therese considers the communion of saints, that bond that we all have through the life we share in Christ, and including those who have already passed on to the next world, what she sees is a love that unites those in this communion of saints that, that is greater than even the love of a family and even the most perfectly loving family you could ever imagine. There is a greater love than that that holds amongst these the members of the communion of saints. How often have I thought that I may owe all the graces I've received to the prayers of a person who begged them from God for me and whom I shall know only in heaven. Think of uh, Zelie's prayers for Leonie, for example, and her cause of canonization. Leonie's cause of canonization now underway. So what this does is it amplifies again something else. We're all aware, for example, of the prayers of St. Monica for her son, St. Augustine. And it's, it's a very dramatic instance of faithful, persevering prayer of a mother, of a family member, for another family member with the wonderful richness of grace that flowed from it. What Therese is highlighting here—that's the little candle with the wick half out—that was able to light all these. There are much less clamorous, much less notable instances of this going on all the time. Hidden people praying, saying their rosary daily, perhaps uh, offering their mass for someone, and God works marvels of grace through the prayer and love and sacrifices of these hidden persons in ways that we will only know in eternity. So. If any one of us has been praying year after year after year for this person or that person or for peace in the world, for things that just seem too large ever to hope for, but doggedly, faithfully, perseveringly praying for this, then what Teresa is saying here is she learns powerfully from the illustration of this almost extinguished candle having the power to light even the whole universe ultimately. The power of those prayers, and it's such an encouragement to continue with that kind of prayer on behalf of others. Yes, a very little spark will be capable of giving birth to great lights in the church, like the doctors and martyrs. So, where did a Francis of Assisi come from? The Saint John Paul II, a Teresa of Calcutta. Who can say the hidden prayers and and efforts to be faithful to the Lord that created the grace-filled space in the communion of saints in which these graces could be given to the world.
0: You've been listening to The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with thousands of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher.